Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Today's all about addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs. So even if you're not addicted to alcohol or drugs, it's going to be a podcast that's going to give you some value because if you feel like maybe you're using too much, maybe you're binging too much on weekends, maybe you're relying on it and you're using it as an escape mechanism. I know that for a period of time, that was me. That's exactly what I was doing. Today's going to be really cool because we've got a recovery coach on. Uh, this gentleman here has actually got a podcast called Beyond Recovery as well, which we're going to put in the links below. He's got a program called the Recovery Roadmap Program, and he's been through it, guys. He's actually been through the whole process multiple times. He actually stopped for a period of time and then, let's say, relapsed. Could use that word possibly, but I'll let him explain that. Matt Gardner, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much for the intro and really, really happy to be here. So uh, thanks again for having me on. No, nah, no problem. Um, look, man, it, your content really reached out. Well, it reached out to me, but it resonated with me because, like I said before, I definitely was using and have used alcohol. I've used drugs in the past as well as an escape, and it's definitely a big problem. There's a rife problem in society where people tend to to use it just to get away because they're they're probably not happy with what's happening in their life. They might not be happy with relationships or with their career, their job or whatever it is. So just tell us, man, how did you get into this? Because I know you started off sort of down this road of using. Tell us your story from the start, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So my earliest experiences with alcohol, it's, it's funny. It's playful, maybe not funny, dark funny, we'll call it. So when I was about five years old, so my dad was a big drinker. And uh, my dad's dad, my dad's dad's dad. So very much on that side of the family. Uh, my mom's side, my Uncle Paul. So that would have been my mom's uh, brother. And so when my Uncle Paul and my dad would get together, I would just remember uh, fairly vividly. It's one of my, you know, it was one of those key memories when I was a youngster. Uh, the volume would go up in the next room, right? They'd All of a sudden, the music would get turned loud, even though it was like the middle of the day. Yeah, They'd start like yelling at each other. It wasn't like angry yelling, but they were just like, kind of giving each other a hard time, like teasing each other and stuff. And I was kind of like, hmm, it sounds like fun. Like I've it very much piqued my curiosity, right? So I go in there and and then they'd be like, oh, hey, Matt, come back in here for a sec. I got something for you to try, right? And then hand me the beer and then I'd do like that. Oh, that's so gross. You know, hand it back to them. They'd laugh. And, oh, yo, you'll acquire the taste one day, you know, that kind of thing, right? So that whole, you know, theatrical style, like in, mm-hmm. involvement or introduction to alcohol was um i don't know I, I to me i've always had a rebellious side as well i just feel like i was born with that and there's definitely elements of that in both sides of my family as well so that appealed to me even at a young age i was like okay that's kind of i associated that with like, like fun and yeah you know it's it seemed a little bit um a little, little strange but i was definitely intrigued so that was my first memory with it so you know flash forward until about 13 years old i'd had a very sheltered upbringing in a fairly small town about seventy thousand people uh, born in prince george british columbia canada and you know then my parents got divorced so 
you know, 13 years old, I was, I hadn't hit a growth spurt yet. So I was a pretty small kid, very shy, you know, uh, and like I say, very sheltered at that point. And then all of a sudden having this idea that my family dynamic was, it felt like a sham. It felt like a lie. Like I had been lied to. My parents didn't actually love each other. Right. And, and they hadn't for years. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just felt very saddened by that angry, Right. And then I'm going to high school and high school in Prince George was grade eight to 12. So there's no middle school. So I'm, you know, five foot two, 80 pounds or whatever it is in the land of giants. There's these guys that have full beards and they're six feet tall and they look like adults. And I'm just like, oh, and I'm shy. I'm not saying anything. So prime time, you know, prime target for bullying. So there was, you know, a bit of that going on. And so as a result, I found myself not really feeling like I fit in, but I wanted to at least have my foot in with every group. So with the, all the archetypes of high school, like the nerds, the jocks, the rebels, the, yeah. you know, the, the rockers, I, I, I would kind of harmonize or like change or chameleonize to fit in with the groups just enough to, that I wouldn't get bullied and stay off the radar, but never quite felt like a fit in, if that makes sense either. Yeah. Right. So that was my socializing in high school. So I, I was doing a lot of sports up to that point. Then I pivoted into music. So my mom got me a guitar. I felt it was a, a great way for me to express myself in a more abstract way. So I could, you know, all these different feelings that I had going on with the divorce and just troubles socializing at school, I could put to music, music to it and express myself through, uh, through uh, words, write a little more, like add an element of fiction to it, but it was also a way for me to get this uh, energy out of me, which was wonderful. With music, of course, came me re reading biographies on Led Zeppelin, you know, okay. and all these bands and how glorified party partying is. And, of course, it'd be an in influential age. I'm like, man, this sure sounds like fun to me, destroying a hotel room and drinking and just the, the you know, the debauchery that occurs with it. I was like, yeah, yeah. it sounds actually like it's a lot of fun. I could get behind that. So, you know, that's what it is. I got into a band and, you know, I... By the time I'm about 16, I'm drinking every weekend, right? And and we're playing music, and it's a. I'm not gonna lie, it was the time of my life at that stage of the game. It's I fun, felt yeah. like I had, yeah. right? It was fun and fairly harmless. I mean, we'd hurt ourselves, like I'd hurt myself by falling over every now and then. But ultimately, I wasn't going out and you know vandalizing anything. We were just, you know, playing some music downstairs, some like really loud Led Zeppelin covers, uh, and you know, was, was trying to learn how to sing and and some screaming and all the rest. And it was fun, man. And, um, you know, and I felt like I had found a way for me to express myself. I could go to parties and I could finally talk to the girls that I was super shy around. And you know what I mean? So I thought that alcohol was like my, this magic elixir that was going to like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Now yeah, I yeah, I'll exactly. parties and feel comfortable, yeah. right? So that's how it was. And, you know, that that's where it worked for me until it didn't, right? So but I was a daily drinker by the time I'm early 20s. Uh, by the time I hit 27... I'd hospitalized myself for acute pancreatitis, which was just, you, you got to go pretty far down the, down the, uh, you know, the, the regular drinking realm in order to get to that stage. So, and especially at 27, it was pretty young for me to get, to get to that stage. And so I was three days in the hospital, Simon, and I'm just doing the whole, like, you know, like if I get out of here, like I'll never drink again. Mm -hmm. I've learned my lesson doing the whole. And that thing, was all right? from, that was all from drinking. Yeah. Like all they, from drinking. 100%. Yeah, no doubt 100% drink. Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I had gotten into, um, some like psychedelics. I was doing mushrooms yep. uh, a fair bit. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not convinced that necessarily had anything to do with it. It certainly didn't make me any healthier. I've never uh, done psychedelics. <laughs> you know, I was so, doing, so I was yeah. doing uh, mushrooms, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Never done I, it. I loved them. 
I loved him. I, okay. uh, I was doing kind of like a micro dosing before, you know, micro dosing is quite popular now, but yep. so I was doing like, you know, I was doing it three or four times a week. Uh, but very little, I found that like just a little bit would kind of enhance things, color things a little bit for me, make me feel a little more creative. And, uh, yeah, so I was doing that a lot too, back, back in that uh, stage, it went hand in hand with being a musician as far as I was concerned. And yeah, yeah. Funny, th funny, th not funny. Again, one of these dark, funny things is, uh, I was playing in three bands at the time. So gigging quite a bit around the city and, and around the area. And, uh, I found that like, uh, you know, being a musician is like the only job they encourage you to drink on the job not only do they support you by doing it they're like they're bringing you beer like them being like the the bar owners the booking managers like here drink up you know it's like yeah it's it kind of kind of a curious thing right so but to me i was like perfect i love this you know um so yeah after i got out of the hospital uh three three days from acute pancreatitis um this is when i really started noticing the power of like the addictive voice in my brain because initially i was i'm like i'm done i'm never drinking again like for, no, mm. no thanks and immediately, as soon as I got out of the hospital, my there was a voice in my brain that was like, "Well, you know what? Okay, let's let's cut a deal here, kind of thing, right?" It was like, you know, that was with rye. Like, you don't don't drink any like dark hard liquor anymore because that's what did it to you. Beer never did that to you. Beer's never done anything to anybody, right? So you're gonna be a beer drinker now. So that's what it was. I uh, within 24 hours of being out of the hospital, I had a beer in my hand, and I remember. At my house, which was very much like a party house, as you can imagine, lots of bands coming over my band, playing four or five nights a week or whatever in my studio. And my girlfriend, who's still my girlfriend to this day, uh, we just started going out. We were the party couple, right? So initially there was that like hesitancy, like, ooh, you know, I see the beer in my hand. She's like, are you sure? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's just it's beer, harmless beer. And then there was like this relief. Oh, okay, perfect. So we can keep going, keep going with what we're doing here. So we did, right? And it kept going like that until I was 30. And this is, you kind of alluded to it in my, my intro there. Uh, yeah, I had a, like a rock bottom moment when I was 30. Uh, strangely enough, life kept leveling up for me. I was still getting promoted at work. So I was very like high functioning on that's, paper. Can I just right? stop you there, man? That, yeah, that's the interesting yeah. part of this, right? Because the, the misconception is that, you know, you're some deadbeat and you're just sitting at home every day drinking. Right. More people, I believe, are in that cycle or in that trap where they've got careers and good, good careers too. We're talking, right. and they're making good money. They're, they're doing well for themselves. They've even got families, but yeah, they're in this cycle. But it's just interesting that you you said that, that everything else was okay. You were highly functioning, which yes. I think is quite normal, you know. It is. No, it's actually worth I'll, I'll pause there and just paint the picture a little bit more. Like, I, I bought a house when I was 23 years old with my ex-girlfriend at the time which is pretty young to be you know getting into the the housing market so having that uh you know i was in like uh, getting into management in this job that i've been doing since i was 16 so i've been working the same job for by that time 11 years right getting into management making good money uh i was playing in three bands as i mentioned that were all recording around and playing gigs around town um yeah, other than like the the obviously the spending a lot of money on alcohol and everything, mm -hmm. I, I was you know fairly competent with money, and really nobody knew quite how much I was drinking because I did a lot of it in secret, right? So, I prided myself on being able to have all of that going on, and as a result, I did not view it as a problem. My character, the caricature that I had, and a lot of people have of somebody that's has an alcohol problem mm -hmm. is that you know the dude that talks to himself that's got a you know a 40 of big bear in in his brown paper bag and he's swilling that in the back alley right 
So I'm like, I'm not that, I'm not even close to that guy. Mm. I'm like leveling up on everything else. I got, you know, a great girlfriend, you know, everything else is going great. Right. So yeah, it was a really tough pill for me to swallow uh, that I had any kind of issue. I didn't feel like I did at all. Right. So mm. yeah, it's, it's a good topic to, to, to talk. I'm glad you stopped me there. So yeah, uh, by the time I'm 30, um, you know, it was relationship issues. Darcy and I had a, uh, had a, just a falling out um, and we didn't speak for a couple of years. So uh, off the back of that, I ended up finally, it's funny. I got promoted one more time. I got to open a brand new store as a bakery manager and my band got a, a $10,000 grant to record a professional album. And I was just at, so everything the universe was giving me was up here. And my, I felt my absolute lowest that I've ever felt in my life. And I ended up having to take five weeks off work. Uh, which was a tough thing to do, dude. And it's worth, again, just pausing on that is like, um, help putting your hand up, putting my hand up to ask for help, uh, who I was incredibly frightened to do that. And I thought it was going to be the opposite of what ended up happening. I thought I was going to get fired and I thought I was going to be such a disappointment to people, but it was in, entirely the opposite. Mm. My manager was like super understanding. A lot of the people, anybody that knew that the small people that knew my inner circle were proud of me, right. And supportive. So that's worth mentioning to anybody that's like resonating with anything I'm saying with the story here. It is worth mentioning that, uh, when you're afraid to ask for help, oftentimes it's the opposite, what you, yeah. the opposite reaction of what you think. Right. Absolutely. So, yep. Right. Um, so I did, you know, five weeks off. So the first two weeks I went on a bender, of course, you know, cause I'm like, Oh, I gotta get out of my system, you know? So, so I took, uh, the first two weeks I'm supposed to be all clean and sober and, and I'm actually getting paid to stay away from work. They're like supporting me in this. And I'm just completely irresponsible just going mm. on a bender. And, uh, and then, so at that point I'm just like, okay, I got, I, my time is ticking. I'm on basically halfway through this. I've got to go one way or the other. Am I going to continue this? Just quit my job, go on a big bender, collect some EI for a while, have some fun. Or am I going to at least try to clean up my act? So I decided, okay, well, I'll clean up my act. So I called my buddy Brent. We had a falling out over substances, of course, and former roommate. And he was in the band before and got kicked out and whatever. And uh, he had gone through NA and AA. And so I called him up. I'm like, Brent, you know, can you take me to one of these meetings? He said, yeah, for sure. And that was kind of like us coming back together. And I'm really glad that, you know, it's a big part of my story. And we went to that first AA meeting and I got to the parking lot and I was like, I, you know, this is enough, Brent. I think I'm like, just the energy of being in the parking lot. I think I'm good. I'm cured, dude. And this is one of these things. Like if he hadn't done this, we wouldn't have this conversation right now. You know, he put his hand on my shoulder and just like smiled at me. He's like, no, it's all good, man. Like it's, we're in a safe spot, you know? And, and we went in and uh, it was the exact, again, the exact opposite of what I was expecting. My, ex my expectations were there was going to be a bunch of sad sacks, right. And just us <laughs> depressing and all this stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was like opposite. Everybody stands up. They see Brent high fives, hugging. Everybody's in a good mood. I'm like, hmm, okay. Again, I'm, I'm wrong. You know, I sit down and, and the guy starts the opening, he opens the big book and says the first few words. And literally it was like a, somebody had been sitting on my shoulders and I felt this like, wait, leave me. I started tearing up and it was just the energy of being in and around and realizing it was like this realization that I really couldn't put to words. It was just like that. I was like, I was in the right spot. Right. And, um, that led me for the next three plus years, three years, three months of alcohol free. I really got into self 
discovery and self-improvement like Wayne Dyer and, you know, uh, you know, how mindset works and how you can, you know, control yeah. your own outcomes and things of that nature. So that was the first time I really went into that. And, you know, I'll pause there and see if there's anything that you wanted to, if it, you know, that sparked. Yeah, I'm just uh, curious to know how long, how long did you attend the meetings? Was it every week that you went? Yeah. Was it every month or how did, yeah, great. How did that actually happen? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Great question. Uh, um, so yeah, what I ended up doing is I think pretty much daily for the first, I'd say the first month or so okay. as close to daily as I could sometimes a couple times a day. Uh, so what I did is I ended up like, I'm in Edmonton, Canada right now. I went down to Vancouver, which is where my brother lives. And that's like a beautiful world-class, like just, mm. I'm sure you, I'm fairly certain you've heard of Vancouver or a lot of your listeners have uh, yep. right on the coast, right on the ocean, there's mountains. It's such a beautiful spot. And that's where I spent that first couple weeks uh of sobriety so got out of my otherwise you know kind of a stagnant environment and changed my environment so that was worth mentioning and uh right down the street literally about half a block from my brother's house was uh where they were hosting aa meetings regularly like three four five times a day and i would just go there i would just go do my morning walk you know walk the uh walk the pier walk the um you know the north shore do like an ocean walk go up do an aa meeting you know, just get my head together, do some journaling. And if I felt the need to, I'd go to the next one at noon. You know, that's kind of what it looked like. So, yeah, I did pretty much every day for close to every day for the first month or so. And then I was doing it weekly for, I would say, the next eight months or so. And then, you know, it was pretty sporadic after that, to be honest. But that first, I'd say the first eight or nine months, it was very important to me to go in there. And honestly... I didn't share too often. I was just like in there in the energy of people sharing. You're in the proximity. The time, but again, yeah, right? And just, mm. I was, again, uh, might be in a shy person. I think just <clears throat> just being in and around people, like-minded people was enough for me. Um, whereas now if I go, I definitely share. But um, but yeah, back then it was just, I was just happy to be in the rooms. And you mentioned something when you started telling the story as well. You said you changed your environment. Now, was that deliberate? So did you deliberately move yeah. to Vancouver? I don't know where it that was. is in relation to where you were living. And yeah. I'm not saying you need to move across the other side of the country necessarily. Right. But when you said change environment, that, that just sort of pricked up my, my senses yes. because that's one of the things that I've learned to do. If you want to change something, that's one part of it. You know, you've got to move into a different proximity, a different environment yep. where you're going to have different energy. Do you want to talk about that? I do. Yeah, that's a great, a great topic to get into. And yeah, it was, it was intentional. So I knew that I was going to be going uh, for that reason, you know, like uh, going, Vancouver's one of my favorite spots because I knew I, there's very, there's a, like I mentioned the ocean, mountains, there's some great hikes, there's some wonderful uh, nature in and around there. And I just knew that if I stayed in Edmonton, um, it, I'd be much more likely to, you know, do that one drive where my favorite beer store is, you know, and be like, hmm, maybe I'll just go in there today, you know, yeah. excuse me. So yeah, it was, it was, it was intentional and it was, it very much helped, uh, you know, it's like the whole quote, I think it's like novelty, uh, breeds creativity, right? So, uh, newness creates, uh, this newness in yourself and this, uh, yeah, it's just more stimulating, and uh, and yeah, just the the other yeah uh, to your point, like the other kind of areas that I have all these like dark memories attached to them, 
uh, would be very much in my periphery. Like I can tell you where all the spots around here, like just outside my window, if I look, I'm like, ooh, I purposefully don't still to this day, don't go down certain routes because yeah. of the, uh, that, that exact reason. So yeah, environment is, is uh, a wonderful thing to keep in mind of changing, uh, as best you can. And like you say, uh, so your, to answer your question, so Alberta, I'm in Alberta. So it's basically British Columbia, which is like the coastal, like the West coast mm. of, uh, of BC is where uh, Vancouver is. And yeah. I'm about, uh, I'd say about a 12 hour drive. Cause I'm like Northern Alberta. So, which is the neighboring province to BC. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's far enough away. Right. But it's not yeah. like I went halfway across the world or anything. Yeah. Either, yeah. Right? So, yeah. So no, that's big for sure. Environment is great. There is a lot of, um, you know, quotes in, in, you know, literature about like, you can't, there's, I think there's a quote, something similar to like, you can't get, you can't recover in the environment that you got sick mm. in or that you are using in, which there's some truth to that, right? Um, there is ways around it though too, because some of your listeners might hear this and go, travel or, you know, there's some logistics involved. Uh, you know, but there's still things that you can do in your house. Like for my, uh, for example, in the house uh, that we've been living in the last 10 years, mm. we moved everything around, right? Like the feng shui, if you will, like the, moving all the furniture around. Yeah. Uh, so there's different things that you can do in your environment to just hit a big reset button, right? For me, usually when I have a big uh, moment of recovery or, or something, I, I go through everything. I go through all any different clothes. If they, it gives me like this kind of like that weird vibe to it is gone right so there is ways to change your environment within your environment as well so yes, keep that in mind. yeah there's a really good book called atomic habits yes, i don't know if you've I read it before by yeah. james clear is the author yes. james clear and he talks about that you don't have to travel anywhere you can just readjust your existing environment you can yeah. completely make shift that that's that environment to be specific to moving out of a certain pattern or certain habit and then creating that new habit, you know? So I, I found that very interesting the way he worded it in that book. Absolutely. I love that book. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, for bringing that one up again. I, yeah, I've been meaning to, uh, I have it on audio books. So I've been meaning to listen to that again. So that's a, that's a good uh, reminder. So thanks. Yeah. So tell us then, so you've, you've, you're in recovery. Well, you've recovered. So eight months, pretty yeah. much eight, nine months yeah. of, mm-hmm. you know, going to the meetings and then, you're not drinking. That's it. You completely stopped. Yeah. Yeah, I did. So, yeah, and you'd mentioned about the, okay, so the relapsing and we'll, we'll get into that, uh, or the, the moderation attempts. So, so at this point, what I was using was, um, and this is worth, you know, discussing too, is like, I, I did use like non-alcoholic beers or there was, uh, there's not nearly the selection uh, back 10 years ago as there is today it's wonderful to see how many like there's like craft beer that you can get now that's zero percent oh, crazy yeah it's, right? so it's amazing now. yeah yeah it's so great so back then though like in canada here i had like molson excel and uh oduls i think that was pretty much yeah. it and they were both like not the greatest we'll say but but um so i that's what i did i was so used to you know just having having a having a can in my hand, so that's that really got me through. And I know for some folks that go through AA, it was a point five. Like Molson excels a point five beer. So some, for some people, that's a, a bridge too far, right? There's like a tiny percentage, so a half percent. So to some people, that'd be like, well, no, you you're still technically ingesting some of it, albeit point five. For me. I needed to do that, especially when I was like jamming in a band, I'd have like a case of beer with me 
Um, so I needed to have a replacement case of beer. Yeah. So I would do the 0.5 beer. I have no regrets about that. I have no judgment on myself or anybody else. And even the people that do judge me, that's their thing. That mm-hmm. That's what's working for them, right? Yeah. That is what's important to say. It's every recovery, there's no like catch all, right? There's like, as would be like a personal trainer for like, if you went to the gym with a personal trainer, they would nuance their you know, their um, routine towards what your body and what your needs yeah. are as is in recovery. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's not going to be like so cut and dry, right? There's a, there's a nuance to everybody's different personalities and needs. So that was mine. And so I use that. Um, like I say, I got much more into like journaling, uh, like yoga was the first time I'd gotten into that and the whole idea. So that was the first like idea of meditation, uh, like through moving meditation, through yoga uh and just like being a lot more aware of my breath so that kind of stuff the seeds were getting planted at that time uh but you know after about three years three months i had been very protected over who i was telling about this because with my job i didn't want it getting out any further than it had when i'd taken that time off you know just and so i just i you know i cared what people i cared enough what people thought that i just i i kept it kept it close to my chest and um Part of me now realizes, looking back, I also wanted that door open just a crack so I could kind of, at some point, kind of just, okay, have a little peek and see what was going on. And so I know that now. That's 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 what happened. And so that's what I did. Uh, I was on my yeah. drummer's wedding. I, um, you know, after three years, three months, it was like over 1,000 days, I think 1,100 days, whatever it was. And um, and I'd made it right to the end of the wedding. And people, I was a, I was a groomsman. And so everything, it was like, it was a great wedding. There's 200 people there or whatever. And, and, but everything that was coming, was, our table was just getting bombarded with, with drinks. And like, there was even the coffee. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'll have a coffee. It's like Kahlua is in the coffee. I'm like, damn it. Can't get away from this. And, you know, I, this is what happened. I, I didn't, I wasn't protective enough over my, my alcohol free choice. I wasn't telling people, hey, I don't drink. I was just being like, ah, I was kind of like wishy-washy about it. Um, I was dodging it. I was taking a shot and like throwing it in the plant behind me. Yeah, okay. You know, well. I was doing all this nonsense instead of just being, hey, I yeah. have a drink. Right? Yep, yep. So that's on me, right? Um, right. And then so the end of the night, I finally had the tequila shot. It was like the fifth one and I, I just did it. And it was like midnight. And I'm just like so close to making it and I didn't. So I had that and I was like, immediately there's like the bit brain chemistry happens. And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, kind of kind of missed this a little bit and then you know i got a corona beer and i'm talking with my my, greg my bass the bass player in my band and Mm -hmm. we're just having like one of those bro conversations right and the beer is going down pretty quick and then i that's when i was like as i'm talking to him i have like a thought in my mind i'm like you it's you just (laughs) this the streak is over it's you're no longer you can no longer say that you're sober and i was fine with it honestly i wasn't even disappointed i'm like yeah okay you know what well, let's see what we can do with this. So, you know, the next three plus years was uh, relax or sorry, not relax, um, like moderation attempts. So this is where this the chatter of the, uh, you know, the, the attic brain comes up. Comes this up is inter- this is interesting. This bit. We spoke yeah. about this off air last week. So, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Go for it, man. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> what happened is, um, you know, initially it's so funny, but again, dark, funny. I, you know, I, after I came back from, so the next morning after that wedding, I flew out and, um, I, I had a holiday with my mom and my brother and, you know, 
as I'm going out to the airport, I'm all of a sudden I got like, I'm like, oh man, I haven't had a, like an airport beer in a while. Maybe I should have that. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, hold on. you know, so it's already like, it's so quickly went back. Like after three years, I went right back to, it felt like it anyways, right back to where I was before. I'm like, this is no, no, I'm not going to do that. Hold on. Anyways. And I had this creative outburst when I was at this holiday. And of course I had this like idea that the outburst was because that I allowed myself a few drinks. So I'm like, Oh, so maybe there is so like all this like creativity that I'd had as a musician beforehand. I always had this collapsed distinction of like alcohol and substances and creativity. They, okay. they're together. They can't be codependent or, you know, independent of each other. So that really much got, you know, reformed again, very quickly. And so as soon as I came home, I was like, as I was flying home, I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. I got this. Like, I've learned my lesson. I can do moderation. As soon as I land and I start doing, I'm like, there's a, everybody's talking about craft beer here. So there's like this uh, local brewery. So I'm going to be supporting local. So that's, you know, feeling good about myself with that. You're, and, doing, your, you're doing your bit. That's good. <laughs> doing yeah. my bit, of course, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm going to, uh, I'll buy that. I'll buy, it, I'll buy a case of it. I'll leave it. Uh, I, I like cold beer, so I'm just going to leave it out in my in my uh, the um, the hallway closet, and then I'll only take out one at a time. Put them in the fridge. They'll have to wait for them to cool, and then I can just enjoy one at a time. It's about double the price of the beer that I used to buy, so I'm going to buy less. This will last me like probably a month. This case of beer that I'm going to get, blah blah blah. So I'm feeling all good about myself. So I do that, and before you know it. I actually had a buddy staying with me and he knew about my, the drinking and all that. So this is, this is just how nonsensical it happened on the first weekend back. I have this beer hidden. Um, he, I have it hidden from him. As soon as he's going out for like a smoke or something, <laughs> I'm diving in there, slamming a warm beer. Right. And it's just like, oh man, it was nonsense. So that was a, the first attempt at moderation, complete failure. I'll just say and, something. Uh, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I used yeah. to work in a liquor store or liquor stores. Oh. I worked in multiple stores and what people used yeah. to do, they used to come in and instead of buying a case, they would buy a six pack yeah. every day and they'd come okay, in yeah. every day and buy it because the theory was if they bought, if they bought the slab, so there's 24, I'm sure it's the same over there in, in Canada, 24 in a slab. Is that right? As opposed yeah, to six, right. yeah, as opposed to a six pack. So the theory was if they bought six, then they were only going to limit themselves to that, but they'd be back the next day or even the same day sometimes as well right. to get another six. And it would be like double the price, even more, because you're right. buying in smaller quantities. So, yeah. Smaller quantities. Yeah. <laughs> I did that too, actually. I would do that. Like, uh, so Darcy and I, by this time, Darcy and I had gotten back together. And the curious thing was, and it's worth mentioning, is like when we had the time apart, she sobered up, I sobered up, independent of each other. And then we got back together. And we're like, are we even gonna? Are we gonna be bored of each other? Because we were like the party couple. And like, are we even gonna? Like, how is this gonna go? Yeah. And it was beautiful. And it was like the relationship is so much more nuance and depth and everything to it. And then me being the knucklehead, I was just like, mm, you know what'd be good? Should we try drinking again? Do you think? You know, all right. So that that was the whole thing. And so the, our experience attempting moderation together was we never drank cider before. So I'm just kind of like, well, why don't we just go get a couple strong bow? We've never, we're not cider people. We'll have like one or two, right? That's it. And then before you know it, we're like buying, you know, strong bow all the time by getting it on tap when we go out. And it's just so, so that one's ex-nade. So I've done the, the, the warm beer thing that didn't work. So then we try, okay, we will only drink on weekends. 
And then all of a sudden, before you know it, every weekend is a four-day weekend. We're like, okay, that's not working. <laughs> What's going on? So, okay, yeah. we, obviously, we can't have it around the house because we mm. – so we'll only do it when we go out. Before you know it, we're going out literally four or five nights a week. As you know, I'm sure it's, it's the same in Australia. It gets very pricey when you go out, mix the food, and then your beer tab is like three beer each. All of a sudden, you're spending like 80 yeah. bucks every time you go. So we're like, hmm, that's not, that's not working either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, you know, we just keep cycling through all these different like attempts and just plowing right through them. No matter what we do, it's just like within a day or two. So we end up, you know, getting to the stage where we can just do like five to 10 days without drinking and i i just i i can totally see how people if they get into you know like a six day a week diet and they have that one cheat day mm. how painful that must be because that was like it was what it was for us we instead of championing the fact that we have like seven days sober we just be like oh, okay and on day eight we get those beers yes and then like the whole time you're just excited about the beer on day eight instead of just like oh you know this these the days are so much smoother. I'm sleeping well. Work's been easier. Instead, I'm just like so focused and white knuckling to get to that day I get to drink, right? So, yeah, that it was exhausting, man. It was and so um, what's the right word? Humbling, but beyond that, just like uh, it made me feel so like out of control. And uh, oh, yeah, the word isn't coming. It's some some derivative of humbling. I'm yeah. sure. You know what I mean? And it's, uh, yeah, so that was three plus years of trying that and um, and just being like, yeah, it ended up being like almost like binge drinking versus anything else that we tried, which has got to be so much worse for your body if you think about it. You know, you give your body a break for five, six days and then just go on this bender for four mm. days and then seven more days of break and then four days. It's, yeah, it was, it was, it was no good. So, what led me into uh, the current alcohol-free stretch that I'm in, uh, my dad passed away a few days before Christmas 2018, age 66. To me, so young, uh, you know, for, for today's is. standards too, yeah. right? I mean, back in the 40s, that was like, you know, old, right? But in today's day and age, so, so, so young. And he just retired, right? And it was, I knew I was, I was on that path again. And um, so that definitely had an effect on me. And then my uncle Paul had actually passed away uh, a couple of years before that at 57 or something. Wow, like in his 50s. Okay. So these two guys that if you remember, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. these two guys that, you know, as you remember that first story I had of when a five-year-old watching these two guys and now here they are all passed away. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say I, I straightened up right away, but I didn't, of course. And it was my driving out to my dad's celebration of life. So, again, my Prince George is about eight hours straight straight west of Edmonton. In between there is a, a town called the Rocky. It's in the Canadian Rockies. It's called Jasper. It's one of the most beautiful spots. Love it. And uh, so anyways, I'm driving out to my, the, my dad's celebration of life. And this is April 2019. And uh, it's actually worth mentioning. So coming out of just a really sloppy party weekend uh, right before I went to my dad's celebration of life. So like cocaine, uh, cigarettes, beer, hard alcohol, all the, you know, staying up to the whole shebang, now, everything. Right? Yeah. The whole shebang, man, the greatest hits. Right before I'm driving out to honor my dad. And so, um, you know, and then halfway out there in, in Jasper in the Rocky Mountain town, beautiful blue sky day. And I just feel like, like garbage. Like I'm not inspired at all. I feel like depressed. And I'm like, what the? You know, so I ended up grabbing my phone and just to get like that 
energy moving. I'm just kind of like, you know, trying to express myself or articulate how I'm feeling. And it's just getting really dark. And there's like, I'm like, I'm just, I feel helpless. I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, there was some like suicidal ideation and, and just things of like this, just getting really dark. And as soon as I was able to just verbalize that and get it going, there was definitely another big shift similar to that first AA meeting. There was like a, a spiritual shift inside me. I believe that there was some help that, that happened, some intervention that happened spiritually. And that was when I just decided I felt that I had that, I coupled that like very disturbed feeling that I had with, um, with basically a reason for getting myself out of that. And what it was, was like, it's a tribute to my dad. Um, and it's a tribute to like, just my family lineage. It can stop with me. I can choose to stop this like repetitive behavior that has been so damaging for that family lineage. And then just do some ancestral healing essentially. Right. And again, when we're talking about, um, context and environment, I don't know if I could have done this if it wasn't like that perfect storm of, you know, me going out to honor my dad, being in this like nostalgic mountain town that I've loved since I was a kid that I used to spend time with my dad at because it was like right in between, you know, both where we lived, um, you know, and then just everything that was happening afterwards. Like, so I went and picked up my brother from the airport. We hadn't been home together in Prince George in 20 years at that point. Like as soon as we got of age, we got out of there. Uh, you know, and so it was really cool to go back there with him and go to the old neighborhood, right, and see the old house, and yeah, it was it was such a positive experience. And off the back of that is what launched me into what I'm currently doing with the, uh, you know, it's I just surpassed my previous three years, three months uh, this past July. So now I'm three years, five months, I guess, at yeah. time of recording. So yeah, here I am, and um, yeah, that's that's my story up to this point. That's awesome, man. Before we get into your program, because I want you to sort of give us an outline and then just tell tell the listeners how it all works, sort of from the ground up. But I want to ask Definitely. you about the actual definition of, of, of addiction. Addiction is a bit of a, a dirty word in a sense. And, yeah. you know, for the most part, I don't think it's very difficult for people to admit they've got an addiction. So what actually constitutes an addiction? Is it a feeling or an emotion that you're out of control? Does it mean you have to be drinking a certain amount is it you're drinking every day? Is it so many beers or so many yeah. wines or whatever it is a day? Because I find the term can be quite loose. And I think people can be out of control, not necessarily fall into that category of addiction, so to speak, but they're relying on it because they're drinking in a context where they might be escaping from something. But how do you define it, mate? Like, What's your take on it? You know, I think you hit the nail on the head with like that, that last little part there for sure. And I, it's it's going to be, again, as, as recovery is different for people, as nutrition is different for people, so is addiction will be different for people, right? And it is. It's I think it's, to me, uh, very much contextual. If you're using something that is suppressing or distracting or escaping or pushing down an emotion – that to me is is an addictive behavior. So I have, I still have addictive behaviors that have come out of my drinking. So they just, it's my addiction. It's like a whack-a-mole, right? Like I, I got the, you know, the drinking, I got the yeah. smoking. All of a sudden, something else came up. Oh mm. crap! I wasn't expecting this, right? It's like the variant, right? So the uh, the uh, addiction variant for me is and continues to be. I'm getting more aware of it, uh, like distracting myself, right? So. 
I'll give you, yeah, hopefully this will answer the question. I'll, I'll, I'll do it with the, in context of myself. So what I found as the why I did the, the drinking or why I do my addictive behavior is I have feelings that come up inside of me and they're usually feelings of uh, rejection, not fitting in, loneliness. And I can tell you when they, when they start showing up because I know the feeling very well. And when I start feeling that feeling, um, now, because instead of grab, grabbing an a alcoholic beverage, I'll pick up my cell phone and I'll distract myself away from it. So I'll go, yeah. okay, well, now I'll check who, who texted me. Ooh, now i got to deal with this. So then my brain has something to do. And meanwhile, instead of allowing that energy and being curious about it and journaling about it or whatever, I've just zoop, pushed it back down. Mm. So I've found a way, different way to numb it or to outrun it or escape it. So another thing that I use a lot, Simon, or continue to use that I'm like calling myself out on now is like um, achieving, like an achiever energy. So, it, and it's like, if I do this, then I'll feel better about myself. Or uh, once I accomplish this, then I can relax and then I can finally, you know, uh, be confident. Like the, it, it's so based on like objective goals versus just subjective. So the subjective, like I want to feel more happy in my life. I want to feel more, you know, joyous. You know, I want to be, la- I want to be laughing more. It's I'm always, I've always, not should say always, eh, pretty close to always been like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to make sure my program gets out. Then I want to get my first six people to go through it. And it's like these, um, you know, these, uh, objective goals. And, uh, that, that is again, a form of distraction for me. And that feeds into those feelings of self worth. And if I don't achieve that, then those feelings continue to come up and then I continue. So you can kind of see where this trap is set that I've set for myself because if those feelings come up, then I'm going to have to keep trying to figure out some other way, uh, to achieve goals, to push it down instead of just allowing them to come up, mm. addressing them. It's kind of like, re, like I, I look in it to like reparenting my inner child, right? There's, there's some yeah. pattern that I learned from chances are my dad. I've identified this a lot being conditional. He's, you know, his life, love was conditional. It's like, okay. Um, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you know, then I'll be happy essentially. Mm. Right. So, uh, and then I took that energy on. Right. So this is, and this is me getting fairly advanced along. Like this is a lot, yeah. 18 months or so of really doing this inner work. So, you know, I guess just to summarize and get back to your question for me, an addiction is anything. And it could be one drink every three days. It can be, you know, uh, it, whatever, what, anything that shows up in your life as an addictive pattern that is pushing or pushing away, suppressing, escaping, uh, from, or distracting from a particular emotion that's uncomfortable for you to feel that is like the nature of, of an addiction for me. So if you're not necessarily listening, excuse me, to a feeling that's coming up and not getting curious about it, and you're trying to escape it or suppress it, uh, that is where an addiction can be, uh, be very, very harmful. That's a good answer, man. And social media is a big one at the moment. And mm. I think that's yeah. something that's relatively new to society. And I don't believe we've learned how to manage that properly yet. I know that there are processes now. And I reckon eventually there will be a process even in schools that they start to teach. I hope they do anyway, because it's a part of our life now. And it's something that when I was a kid, I didn't have to deal with it. And it certainly is a massive distraction, an avoidance mechanism, 
if I've got something important to do, I use it as a form of procrastination. So I'll put things off. If I'm feeling bad about something, like you said, you hit the nail on the head, man. Like you just grab your phone and before you know it, you can be on there for 10, 15, 20 minutes. You do that yeah. like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times a day. I mean, that adds up, you know, and you're wasting a yeah. lot of time and actually deflecting time away to what it is that you should be doing, you know? So yes. yeah. worth noting, guys, that addiction comes in many different forms. And obviously today is all about, you know, alcohol and, and, and drugs, but you know, most certainly addictive behavior is addictive behavior. It's avoiding a, an emotion. It's suppressing an emotion. It's putting things off that we don't want to do. And if we can become aware of these patterns of ours, that's when we've got a chance of actually breaking, breaking that cycle, you know, and then putting that circuit breaking in there to actually move away from that and actually do something else. So just on that, man, tell us about the program. Yeah. You started it, obviously. You built it from your own experience. Yeah. How does it actually go? How does it play out, man? For sure. Yeah, I'll let you know. And, you know, you said the the word avoidance. The avoidance is like I heard somewhere that like every problem that comes up for us and for like in society – uh behaviorally is has something to do with avoidance because you were talking about escape before so mm-hmm. i'm actually glad i'm really glad that you mentioned that yeah for sure avoidant behavior is 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 definitely a big part of this so i'm glad you said that thanks yeah recovery roadmap so i just re i've been working on this um you know i'll just give a, a quick little bit of background I, i've been working that same the same job for close to 23 years uh it was a local or like a regional uh, grocery chain up here in so Western Canada. And I'd gone from like time I was 16 years old to, uh, you know, 40 basically. Right. And it had been, uh, you know, a part-time closer in the bakery all the way to assistant store manager, mm. all the jobs in between lots of upper management. So like the last 12 years or so been doing like upper, upper management. And I felt very just, I f- felt I was getting the last couple of years specifically getting very, you know, uh, constricted within the job. I was feeling some like dread and anxiety about being there. So decided to, to pull the plug on it. Uh, what I did like about the job was the mentoring part. I de- very much enjoyed uh, helping people, develop people, uh, having people have those aha moments, sharing my experiences in a way that would, oh, okay, I understand this now. And just, I, I've, I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. So I took that side of it and then I combined that with my, you know, coming forth with my uh, recovery story and just combined it and then hence the sobriety coaching. So uh, from there is where I created a uh, recovery roadmap and I've been working on it uh, full time since February. My last day of the 23 years at Save on Foods was, uh, I want to say January 28th of this year. So essentially from like February 1st till now, I've been doing this full time. Uh, I created this uh, course. So we just had the dry July which was uh, obviously in July. So I had six people go through it. There was people from uh, early sobriety to there. I had a gentleman that was 31 years sober and just did it to kind of, you know, just uh, run these routines. Sometimes it's nice to get a little kickstart and, you know, a little, uh, you know, change it up a little bit. So he was in there. It was great. So I had the six folks go through. Uh, You do your daily check-in. So it's basically just grabbing. We have a private Facebook group that you upload this to. So uh, as a part of an accountability thing, you uh, do a daily check-in where it's just uh, an awareness exercise. Okay, how is your energy today? Where is it showing up in your body? Are you feeling nervous? Um, You know, speaking just a little bit about what else is going on. If there's 
something that you need to get off your chest. It's, mm. So it's awareness and vulnerability, practicing both of those. And as a side benefit, just practicing being in front of the camera. A, a strange side benefit. I think everybody had mentioned, they're like, oh, I'm so much more comfortable speaking into the camera. So that mm. was kind of cool. Uh, so that was a big thing. Post those. Everybody kind of comments on each other's. And, and before you know it, you have this real feeling of team. And it's it was just a wonderful thing. So that's the community. That was one of the 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 main takeaways from everybody was like, wow, we really feel like a family towards the end there, which is great. Uh, so the daily check-ins, there was um, for the 30 day, uh, well, I guess it was 31 day challenge for July, but uh, there's uh, 30 minutes a day that you commit to three different tasks. So you got 10 minutes a day for body, mind, soul. Uh, so for myself, I did uh, for body, I would do 10 minute running uh for the mind i did 10 minutes of reading out loud i've always had an issue with reading out loud i get a little bit dyslexic so it was a challenge for me so i did that and uh and then did 10 minute meditation outside so that was my 30 30 thrive 30 we call it and then i do my check-in right after okay this is how i'm feeling so boom those are your four things that you do every single day uh so that's great uh, and then we do a weekly group call everybody can hop on the group call uh, there is one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with myself. So you get two of those throughout the, uh, 30 days at any choice, any time that works for you. Mm. And, um, and then we do Sunday events, which are generally based on, it'd be like a, there was yin yoga. We did once, uh, breath, uh, two breath work sessions, uh, sound journey. So like sound healing, I do sound therapy as well. And uh, Tai Chi, which was rad. The, uh, the guy, the gentleman that did the 31 year so uh, teaches Tai Chi. So he elected to uh, do one of our Sunday classes for us. So that was really cool as well. And I also developed a, like a 30 day course. So it's an online course that you can do at your own pace. So you can either just knock it off in three hours, or you can do, it's basically uh, meant to, you can do like a five minute, each lesson is about five to seven minutes. And it's all based on, okay, like uh, managing cravings, uh, relapses, uh, different questions like, oh, um, how to navigate social situations, um, you know, inner dialogue. There's a whole module on like how you're talking to yourself and how, you know, the words that you're saying to yourself can really affect the rest of your day and the way yep. that you're expressing yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. Really do a deep dive into that. Uh, you know, getting into um, what you want your recovery to look like. And it's because I'm, I'm a big, uh, I'm big into like staying active, right? So, and it doesn't have to be, you know, going crazy at the gym, mm. just doing some body weight exercises, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, doing like the yin yoga. So still moving, but really, really mindful while you do it, combining the body, mind, spirit activities, as I talked about. And then integrating it because it's one thing, okay, you got your 30 days under your belt. So how are you going to take everything that you've learned and then go back out into the world and still maintain your sobriety? So there's a, there's a module on that. It's kind of like the, I likened it after like the hero's journey. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's the whole course is based on the hero's journey. Yeah. So your first 30 days is like your, uh, you know, you're answering the calling and then you go into like the dark night of the soul where you do some real soul searching and then you come back out the other side, you've transformed and then you're ready to potentially go help others. So that's kind of the, the crux of, of recovery roadmap. And it's like 30 day program, of course, which I do quarterly. The next one's coming up for sober October. And, um, after that, if you, uh, if you feel the need to continue on in the course, there's options to do 90 days. Cause there is the whole literature about, you got your 30 days, call it wet cement. And then 90 days is when you really have changed. I think it says a lot of this in, in, um, 
in touches on it in topic habits about yeah. a, 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 you know i think it's like between 65 and 90 days is where mm. you can really start changing your habits and your routines right and how important that is so really creating this foundation and i also have the option to do the full year and i've actually had one one of my clients uh that is going all the way to her one year sobriety mark so we have that and she has like i think it was like seven and a half or eight months that we had signed up for and just uh we're just going to do the whole journey together and it's going to mm. be so exciting that when she gets her one year uh you know i did the whole journey alongside her which is so cool cool man well, that's awesome how do people reach out to you then if they want to get in touch with you if they're interested in what they've just heard and they want to actually participate the next one's obviously coming up in october so what's the easiest way man that they can contact you yeah, thanks, Simon, for sure. Yeah, uh, recoveryroadmap.me. So that's my Instagram handle. That's also the website. So www.recoveryroadmap.me. Yep. I'm on Instagram uh, probably more than I should be, as you talked about social media distractions, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm on Instagram a lot. Just follow me and, and shoot me a DM and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, you know, we'll go from there. Um, I'm also on, I have a YouTube channel that has some of my sound therapy stuff and other uh, other shows that I do and Facebook. And that is, uh, so the YouTube and Facebook is Matt Gardner live and you can find me on there as well. Cool, man. Two more questions. We've got about five minutes before we wrap up. So yeah, first question is just as a takeaway, what's a couple of takeaways, just two things. If someone's listening to this and they feel like, you know, they want to change path a bit, they feel like that they're using alcohol or whatever it is, some other drug that's in a destructive way, in a distractive way, and a way, and an avoidance sort of mechanism. Yeah. What are the first two most important things you reckon that they should be doing initially yes. to sort of break that, or to just start, you know, to move away yeah. into a different direction? Yeah, great question. Really great, great question. Uh, the two things that come to mind right away is take the habit, the the habit of for me. Okay, so drinking was always going to be. Um, a reward for me. So I had to find something. I wasn't just going to like drink water. I mean, I, some people that would work with, for me, I needed the can. I like the, the whole mannerism, you know, when people are smoking or quitting cigarettes, they have the pen in the hand. Mm -hmm. So for me, I replaced the bad habit with a better habit, right? So sparkling water, I, mm. it's probably showing up as like a predator can because of the green screen behind yeah, me. But yeah, so I, I, I found that I also replaced my energy of of um you know getting over on people and hiding and everything all that energy i converted that to going to the gym so yes it was one addiction for another and this is covered in my course but it was a much better addiction so it's of optimum importance that you replace yeah that energy needs somewhere to go so find something that's healthier than what you are currently doing so go to the gym fair enough that's not therapy that's not all the other things that we're going to do but at least it's taking that initial bad habit and making a good habit of it so yeah. take the addiction replace with a better addiction so for me it was awesome. gym. uh the second thing is get into a community get some connections realize that you're not doing yourself it's uh, it has a wonderful sobriety community. Write it if you want to be like anonymous, but still get stuff off your chest and type it up and do it's almost like blog style. Sorry, Matt. Um, can I can I just ask you just the second point? Can you start again on that? It, yes. it just started breaking up with yes. the connection. So yeah. Yeah. 
We've got the first yeah, point. We've got that done. But the second point you, you spoke about getting For into sure. a community. So connection is the second mo- yeah, that's right. So getting into a community is was the most important thing for me. I drank in secret. I used in secret. So for me to get out into a room or into a community and be able to express that, what it did was uh, getting what otherwise would have been shameful stories. Yeah. And I found a release for it because I would go up to somebody like, uh, I was doing this. And then person was like, kidding me that's like tuesday morning for me and we have this good laugh about it right and i'm like ah okay it's like permission to release this like shameful energy and that can only come from feeling connected with somebody you are not alone you're not the only going through find people that are going through it and my goodness it it it's it's so crucial it's so crucial so yeah connection and then replacing the bad addiction with a good addiction with the caveat knowing that you still have to work on yourself at some point. Awesome. Very good. Last question. This is all about overcoming limitations, this podcast. So I just want to know yes. what does, what does being limitless mean to you? Ooh, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the, your podcast, like the whole idea of your podcast, by the way, man, I love it. It's so cool. Thanks, so limitless man. for me is, um, is okay. I'm going to make it nice and simple. There, live if your decisions create you to contract if you feel like you are being essentially limited uh figure out why what is what is inside of you that is is locking up what is inside of you get curious about it what you want to be able to do is convert that i want to feel for limitless for me is feeling expansive right light uh hopeful um stimulated uh all those good words i want a nice light open and expansive energy that to me is limited so if i make a decision that makes me feel expansive that means i'm limitless if i'm feeling contracted or if i'm feeling in some way uh you know like my my mindset is distorted or i'm uh, you know the walls are closing in yeah I, I, that that means it's time to change my energy whatever that may look like awesome Matt, it was awesome, man. Thank you so much. I got plenty out of it, and I hope hope you guys did as well. All the links will be below to all the resources. You can contact Matt. I'll have everything down um, in the links below. So excellent, man, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again. Absolutely, Simon. I'll get you on my show as well. I did Let's send you it, the, the link, I believe. Yes, you have. Yeah, that's all done, so I'm Brilliant. looking forward to it, man. Yeah. Awesome. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're all signed up. So yeah, absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on today. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe. And also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.